talented. Have you ever wondered what is going through the mind of an artist as they are sculpting? This week, we sit down with local artist and sculptor Nick Corey. Well, thank you so much for coming, Nick. I'm so excited to have you here on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel very honored to be here. Well, you are very talented. Thank you. Okay, so we're just going to go ahead and get started. How long have you been sculpting? Um, about 20 years. Wow. Starting when I was nine. So if you do the math, I'm 29. And it's about 20 years. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. What sparked your interest in sculpting or art in general? Um, with art, my family's always been big into art, you know, through growing up. My mom was an art teacher. Uh, my grandma, my mom's side, she was an artist. She was a great watercolorist. And um, so we always were just little artists and did crafty things. Of course, I had some Play-Doh growing up, but I've never been a big fan of Play-Doh. Um, the material, not the person. Um, so my brothers one day were playing with clay on the kitchen table, and I have two older brothers. I'm the youngest, so I was the younger, annoying brother that always wanted to do what my other brothers were doing. So I went in, and I just... As far as I can remember, it was forever ago, but I just was picked up some clay and I never put it down since. And I just played with it and played with it and played with it. And I got so used to having it. I just took it with me everywhere and sculpted with it. And pretty soon in, you know, uh, junior high, high school, I started to get a bit more professional and a bit more detailed and actually start sculpting things instead of makeshift toys. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just about that long. Um, so you talked about you use clay. What kind of clay do you use or do you prefer to use? Um, I use an oil-based clay. The technical term is JMAC firm. Um, I also use a few other types of clay. I use Roma Plastilina, which is a gray clay. And surprisingly, all of these clays smell different. But they're all oil-based clays and the ones that I use mostly. And um, that means that they don't dry out. And the warmer they get, the softer they get. Now, some are just earth minerals and oil, which when you heat up, it kind of crumbles and turns into like a lava rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, some other stuff is more of a wax-based, and that is you heat that up and it almost liquefies. Oh, wow. And that becomes a lot softer. So the kind I mainly use for professional grade is... JMAC um, firm. It comes in three different hardnesses, soft, oh. medium, and firm. Soft is a little bit harder to handle, but it's okay. But I like the firm. It makes me be able to put more detail into it. So I usually just soften that up in the microwave for a bit and then get a little bit more um, detailed with the harder stuff. So it allows for that to work a bit better. So now that we know what kind of clay to use, do you use any other mediums to sculpt? Um, I've done some metal sculpture with welding. Um, I've done some stone carving, done some wire sculptures. Right now I've been working with a lot of water-based clay, which is the clay that most people are familiar with, mm. the kind that you can put in a kiln and it you know, gets all hardened cer- ceramic-wise. I'm not sure what the technical term for that is, but it's just fired. It's bisque-fired, other-fired. It's fired, that stuff. <laughs> nice. So... Yeah, that's what I've been doing recently. Got into pottery, which is nice. And then, so yeah, that's about mostly only other stuff I do. Every now and then, you know, I'll do random stuff. 
So not a good painter. I don't paint. <laughs> yeah, so. it seems like Nick is like talented at anything he picks up. So I think you would be good at painting. You haven't seen my last painting. <laughs> you would see it and be like, that is terrible. Lies. Do you only use clay in your sculptures or do you use other mediums? Um, With the clay, there is an armature inside of it, which is mostly made of wire. Hmm. And that is the kind of like skeletal structure. It helps hold the clay up. Hmm. So if you have a regular human and his arms are up in the air, then the arms are going to get droopy if you just make them out of raw clay. Hmm. So you need to have some sort of armature or structure inside which holds those arms up. What has been the hardest sculpture for you to create and why? With this one, um, a lot of my sculptures, people would call them difficult, but since they come out of my head, I usually don't think of them as too complicated. Mm -hmm. um, if I plan one ahead of time, usually that makes it a little more harder. But the hardest one that I can remember is um, in my sculpture one class at UVU that I had to take. We had to sculpt our own head, life-size, out of water-based clay. Oh, dear. And I'm not as comfortable with that clay as I am with oil-based. And it had to be life-size. And I have a big head. So <laughs> that incorporated with that. And I think all I had was a mirror. And now I know that I needed a profile picture and a front picture and some calipers and measurements and everything. But back then I had no idea what I was. Well, I knew what I was doing, but not that skilled at it. Mm -hmm. So that was really hard to get it to look like me. And I still have it, and it doesn't look like me that much. For one, I had hair back then. And two, it, yeah, it's just different. Dang, that's, that's yeah. amazing. I can't imagine trying to sculpt uh, anything, let alone a life-size replica of my own head. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I can imagine. So what has been your favorite sculpture that you have created? I like a lot of my sculptures. Usually I don't sculpt it if I don't like it. Um, but my favorite one that I've done most recently is, um, I call it prodigious, mm -hmm. which is basically another word for like large or gigantic. Mm -hmm. And it's a whale. It's in the form of like a sperm whale. And it was really old looking, like with barnacles on it. And it had some like scarring and, you know, um, yeah, a little like stuff here and there that just made it look aged. And on its back was like a tree, had a tree growing on its back and kind of like an island. And then there were some like pirate ships crashed into it. Oh, wow. And it was like really, it was really cool. And it was about two feet long. Oh, wow. And um, it was blue because the clay was blue. That's <laughs> why it was blue. But um, I really loved the, the way it came out. And it's probably my favorite one that I've sculpted most recently so wow yeah and when did you sculpt that like just barely or has it been a while um that was about a year ago I've recycled it already mm. and when I mean like recycle it because the clay I use is oil based so it doesn't harden so what you usually do is you make a mold of the sculpture and then you recycle the clay into another sculpture so that well actually became a dragon later on so that's really cool. Uh, it's kind of, so you kind of touched on a molding of a sculpture. Talk us through the process of sculpting a sculpture to someone holding the sculpture in their hand. Because there's a big process between when you complete it and somebody, a consumer has it in their hand. What is that process from the completion to consumers holding the actual sculpture? That's a good question. 
a lot of people don't know a lot of that stuff. Um, with it depends on what you want the final product as. If you want it in a resin, kind of like a plastic, the uh, process is a lot shorter. If you want it in a bronze or some sort of metal, it's actually a little bit longer and more expensive because it is longer. Mm -hmm. So the process about getting it in resin is you first have the sculpture and then you mold it with a molding agent, which usually a lot of sculptors use silicone. And you put letter, uh, layers and layers and layers of that on. And that builds up kind of like when you make a candle, if you've ever seen candles being made. And the layers get thicker and thicker. You end up with like a rubber coating all over it. And then you put a plaster, kind of like a mother mold or a casing over it. Or you can use fiberglass. It just has to be something hard and strong. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps hold the uh, mold together when you take it off of the clay. And with that, it's kind of hard to explain a little bit, but you have to divide the sculpture into certain sections so that they're able to come apart. Because mm. like, if you mold a bottle, just a regular bottle, if you put one of the seams too far to the left or too far to the right, it's going to grab onto that and not want to come off. Mm. So it's the same process with the sculpture, just a lot more complicated. And so with that, you make, you divide it, paint it, put the casing on it. Then you take the casing and the fiber and the latex off. I got fiberglass in my mind. And <laughs> then you pour the resin into the hollow mold that you just took off. You pour, you put the mold okay. back together, pour the resin material in there, let it set, and then you have a plastic replica. And that's what people can usually paint or they can, you know, have it in one solid color. And you see a lot of the people use that kind of resin material on a lot of YouTube videos. They like have the clear resin that they pour in things. Mm, yeah. So it's similar of the similar to that. And then that's pretty much the resin or plastic process if you want that. Which is quicker and it's a little cheaper, but a lot of people like bronze mm. and it's also like permanent. It's gonna last mm -hmm. like forever. Yeah. And so that process is the same all the way through the mold making and everything, but then you send that mold to a foundry, or if you do it yourself, it's just difficult. And send that to the foundry, they pour wax into it. It makes kind of make kind of a hollow replica of the sculpture out of wax. Mm -hmm. And then they dip that wax into a slurry, a ceramic solution, which is uh, makes a shell over it. Then they heat that shell up, melt all the wax out of it. So you're ending up with a hollow shell, and inside that is where the sculpture uh, releases and that is where they're going to be pouring the molten bronze into that ceramic slurry that hardened in our shell so ceramic shell they pour the bronze in there then they break the ceramic off of it once the bronze is cooled enough and they do what we call chasing afterwards which is where you grind away the seams or grind away any imperfections or fill any air voids that came out you fill those in with like welding or anything like that mm -hmm. And so that's how the bronzing process goes. And they put a patina on it afterwards. And mm -hmm. that's what kind of gives it that bronze color. If you actually have just raw bronze, it'll, it kind of comes out looking not as appealing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people put the patina on, which is kind of like a paint process. It's mm -hmm. just not exactly paint because you have to heat it up and stuff. And that's when you get it to look really nice. So a lot of people get it that. And it's a lot heavier. It's durable. It's sound, it feels more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. 
Wow, that's amazing process that not a lot of people know about. So that's yeah. interesting that you have that insight. Um, if someone were, so say in the bronzing process, there's like an imperfection in the bronze or that comes out in the bronze and they don't realize it till after that ceramic shell is off. What happens then? Do they just redo the whole, t- whole process and that sculpture is scrapped or do they just continue on and fix it otherwise? With any um, imperfections that come after they pour the bronze in and they end up with the bronze statue, if there's any imperfections, they can fill those in by uh, putting welds into it. So putting some raw bronze into there or just um, regular like MIG welding steel that you get out of the welding that they do. Or you can even use some sort of hardenable metal paste or putty. There's a ton of different things you can do, but usually they just weld it because it's more permanent and stronger. And that can fill in any air pockets that showed up. And a lot of the time they'll pour it so it's different pieces, kind of like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Then they'll weld those together. And that Mm -hmm. helps keep any imperfections out as well because they can always re-pour a small piece instead Mm -hmm. of the whole entire thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Instead of pouring a giant statue and having all these imperfections, um, they can just do different puzzle pieces and say if a hand turns out skullwampus, they can just chuck it and redo it. Yeah, it depends on how long it would take to actually correct it. If it takes less time to re-pour it, then they would do that. If it takes less time to just fix it with a welder or a MIG torch or whatever, then you're good. So time is money in the bronzing world. Understandable, understandable. Yeah. I mean, from the processes that you described, it sounds like it can take a while. How long is the process to actually get a statue bronzed? Probably about three months. It depends on how busy your foundry is. Wow. Um, like if they if they had just that, it would probably be like maybe a month or mm-hmm. less because the process isn't too long, but you have to account that usually your foundry that you use has a lot of other sculpture, like sculptures going through there, a lot of other artists, a lot of other things. So you have to accommodate all of those and wait, realize that your statue doesn't have top priority. Mm-hmm. And if it did, you have to pay for that type top priority. Oh. And that's when you're going to just patience comes mm-hmm. into play. And yeah, it's, it's usually a little bit of a lengthy process, but the sculpting takes longer than the bronzing. Mm. So that's usually what the clients are expecting is the, sculpting process takes a long time yeah um do you find that people prefer bronze or do they prefer the ceramic or the resin it depends on their you know budget Mm -hmm. a lot of the way but a lot of people prefer bronze because if they want a memorial it's going to go outside Mm -hmm. and you can't have resin outside because it'll deteriorate the sun will damage it Mm -hmm. whatever paint job you give it's not going to last Mm -hmm. and with the bronze that's going to last you know forever Mm mm-hmm and we still have bronze statues from, you know, Da Vinci and Michelangelo, all of those people. So mm-hmm. it lasts a really long time. And so that is what most people want for their memorials that go outside. What people want in their houses, sometimes they want bronze as well because it's more durable. Mm-hmm. You know, if anyone ever knocks it over, it's not going to break. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot heavier, looks a lot nicer on a nice desk. Mm-hmm. So mostly people want bronze, but... Again, if you have it inside and you have it on a desk, you can always paint it to look like bronze and it's going to be a lot cheaper and it's still going to look just the same. So, What do you prefer? Uh, for my stuff personally, I prefer resin because it's just I can do everything myself. Mm-hmm. So everything goes through me, which 
I feel is more fair to the client because they only have to deal with me. Mm-hmm. They can be all right. This is messed up. It's my bad. It's not the foundry's fault. It's not it's you. It's me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be happy to fix it for you. I don't have to, you know, hire anyone else out to do it. It's all in in store. So that's how I prefer, and it's cheaper for me in the in the process. And usually people are more inclined to buy things if it's a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. But if people want a bronze, then they get a bronze. So, mm-hmm. so it's just all up to preference. Yeah. Knowing you, and um, I visited where you used to work, you have a lot of experience. But do you have any funny or upsetting moments that you've experienced while you were sculpting? There are quite a few. Um, you always get upset when you, like, nick a sculpture. You're carrying things around. You bump into it, gets a big nick in it, you have to fix it. Or what's been going on recently is my nieces or nephew start touching my stuff and it's still in its soft form. Oh no. So I go into the basement where I'm working and there's all these holes in the sculpture or someone tried to move a nose. And oh wow. So that's a little bit infuriating, but <laughs> it's also adorable at the same time. So it's hard to get mad. Right. Um, but one funny thing that happened was... I had a sculpture in my car one time. It wasn't anything big, so it wasn't a dramatic loss, but um, it was just kind of a fun sculpture I was doing. Left it in my car, and, you know, in the desert heat, you get, like, over 90 or 100 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so with the kind of clay I use, that melts. Mm, And I came into my car, and this sculpture was pretty much just armature, and there was a giant puddle of just molten clay onto the base of this thing. Oh, no. And I was just like, oh. Forgot I left that in there. So. It didn't make a huge mess in your car, did it? No. Oh, well, that's no. good. Yep. One time I left one on top of my car. Oh, that God. left a mess on my car, but it was easier to clean up. Oh, no. Did it just melt to the car? Or did you just kind of forget about it and drive off and it just smushed onto the car? No, I didn't drive off. I just left it there because I think I was carrying stuff inside to a building or something. Mm-hmm. Again, in the desert, stuff can melt pretty quick. So I think it was like... An hour, maybe, it was out there. Oh, wow. And it looked kind of like it was a guy, like, in chains pulling up off the ground. Mm-hmm. So, it, instead, it was a guy that looked like he was just melting. Oh, no. The chains were melting off, and there was just, like, a blob. Oh, no. It was a blob man. Blob man. Yeah. Oh, dear. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> You have to realize that, you know, a lot of the, since the clay I use is soft, if it breaks, I just fix it. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot of reason to get upset because you can always fix it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a very angry person anyway, so I don't really get too upset. A lot of it can either be frustrating or if there, definitely if there's a time crunch, mm-hmm. that adds a lot of pressure to it. And so obviously if something melted with a time crunch, you're going to be really upset. But in this case, it was just a fun piece. It wasn't really anything that had a time crunch or that cost money. It was just something mm-hmm. for fun. But some stuff can be infuriating and stressful, but most of the time it's just, oh, I'll fix it. Yeah. As so. in any job, uh, and you can just have a bad day and everything just seems to upset you. Yep. <laughs> um. So as we've kind of discussed a little bit, you used to work for a, stat- or for a, um, a studio, uh, Big Statues, um, what was your favorite project that you worked with them and what was your experience working with them? So I worked there for about three years, um, which was great. I loved the work I do. Um, I work I did. Sorry, it's not, I haven't been not working there very long. I still feel like I'm doing that work. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but the work I did, I loved the pro. I learned how to mold things. I learned how to cast things. Um, I did, a, I did some sculpting. I did mostly mold making there. And you know, there were hard times. There were good times, but you know, majority of hard times, <laughs> which the reason most of it ends. And, but my favorite thing I sculpted there was probably uh, the small amount I did sculpt. I made this kind of robot scorpion, which was pretty fun. It was about the size of like, it was about three times the size of a regular scorpion. It was like a foot long. I don't don't know proper animal anatomy (laughs) to know the exact length of a scorpion or the species. (laughs) And this was like a robot scorpion, so it doesn't even exist. So um, that was probably one of my favorite things I made. And there were a lot of other cool projects. Like we did a bigger than life-size lion, which was really fun. We did a ton of memorials just of people who've passed away or, you know, some mildly famous people, mostly historical figures that I had no idea who they were. You're like, who's this so, person? <laughs> yeah. Some days you're just like, I feel bad for not knowing who this person was. But it's okay. I can learn about them now. So but there was a lot of fun things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's really cool. So as you kind of said, you left the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, you're now more doing commission work. How is that different from studio work? Um, I'm my own boss, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. I'm definitely more of a rule follower than a rule giver. <laughs> so being my own boss is a little different. And luckily I'm not you know big time yet, so I don't have to worry about a ton of time frames or people calling me every minute going... How's this going? How's this going? But a lot of it is just, you know, I have to I have to kind of put a fire under myself to mm-hmm. get going. A lot of the time I'll be like, oh, I'll just play video games. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm just going to stare at the wall for a bit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really happen, but it feels like that sometimes. And so a lot of the time I have to give myself a push instead of someone else pushing me. Mm-hmm. I have to give myself a push to actually do the work that is necessary. But it's my own... Um, it's my own work. I'm the one that judges if it's the quality I want it to. And obviously the client, if they're happy with it, you know, I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. But, and also with sculpting, there's a time you have to tell yourself that, okay, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to stop here, check it with the client. Cause you can always be like, I'm going to fix this little piece. Mm-hmm. And then you can find another little piece. And then you're chasing the sculpture around for the next you know week, mm-hmm. trying to get as perfect as you want it realizing that the client actually loves it the way it is right now mm-hmm. and you can put it aside and start the next piece because the more sculptures you get the more money you get mm-hmm. so but you also don't want to put out anything that you are ashamed of or that you know is not your best quality and Mike, my, my brother told me one time that if this was more with pottery because you know pottery you can do a lot faster mm-hmm. but um i think it's the same with sculpture that if you make something and you're not you think you can do better just scrap it and do better because it's kind of worthless just to keep it if you know you can do better. And so that's how I think about a lot of sculptures is if I can do better, I don't want to send it out because I don't think that's fair to the client. They're paying you for your skills, for what you can do. Why give them something mediocre? Right. So what commissions have you received? Um, I have one that I'm doing right now and then the same client wants another one. Oh, wow. Um, after this one and and like I said I'm not anything big time right now I just got a couple a few things going um some of my aunts want things oh, yep, nice. I'm very loved by all of my aunts 
and my uncles. No one dislove, dislikes me. <laughs> Nick, um, you're amazing. Thank you. So they want, like I have like seven bears. Oh, so wow. I made a mold of a bear a while back ago. And it's like a little, you know, goofy little animated bear. Um, but it's something that everyone can like put on a shelf or put in a curio cabinet or whatever mm-hmm. and have sit there. And people are like, oh, that's nice. That's funny. It makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. And with this bear, one of my aunt wants to give it, give it to all of her children. So she has like six of them. Or no, she has five and she wants one for herself. Mm. I do know how many cousins I have. (laughs) I'm just not counting at the moment. So yeah, I got all those going. I have a couple. Since I recently picked up pottery, everyone wants a pot of some sort. (laughs) So now I have to try and get that worked out. But It must mean you're really talented at pottery. Well, apparently. I didn't think I was, but it's growing on me. And it also is a lot faster than sculpting and cheaper. So... Mm. That usually goes a bit better, especially if you don't have to pay for the kiln or the wheel or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Then you, it's a lot cheaper. But um, sculpture is what I'm, what I love when I'm most, you know, what I'm the best at, and the best in me. Not, I'm mm-hmm. definitely not the best in the world. It's what you're passionate about. Yeah, and that's what I love. And so I got a few going right now, but nothing big time. Not like anything life size. Speaking on what that you're very passionate about sculpting, what do you want to do with sculpting in the future? Because currently you're going to school and you've just recently quit your studio job and now you're just taking commissions. What do you want to do with your art skills, your sculpting skills in the future? Well, that's a good question. A lot of people, like a lot of artists I know who are like, art's my life. I think every dream of theirs is to be their own like big time artist, like to be the people that are in the magazines and that, you know, can sell their work for millions of dollars and, you know, be rich and live in some weird fancy house wearing glasses and drinking wine all the time talking about intellectual conversations. (laughs) But unfortunately, that's like 3% of the artist world. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I know a few people like that, that, you know, they don't sell their stuff for millions, but they do pretty well. Mm -hmm. They can at least, you know, live a very comfortable life off of what they make from their art. And I hope to be at that level someday, Mm -hmm. but I know it's a lot of work to reach there. And being 29, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not at the end of my rope. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I still have a few years left in me. Yeah. (laughs) And so with that, I'm hoping, you know, that's always a dream to be a full-time artist, be the, you know, be a big thing. But in realistic terms, I have to think of what I want to do in the near future and in my future future. You know, I need something that's going to provide for a family. Mm -hmm. I need something that's going to, you know, give me a house to live in, you know, have good health care and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I have to think realistically. Mm -hmm. So um, what I'm going for actually when I finish school is to become a junior high or middle school art teacher Mm -hmm. and hopefully either teach full on art like everything or just teach the ceramics and sculpture area. Hmm. So I don't think I could teach just drawing and painting and things. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an okay at draw. I'm okay at drawing. I'm an okay drawer. I'm not sure if drawer is a word, but <laughs> I'm an okay one of those. <laughs> and uh, so I think with how much art experience I have in general, I could teach that. But mm-hmm. I'd really love to help kids learn how to sculpt better and how to uh, feel through that type of art. Because mm-hmm. I had a great experience in junior high. I had a great teacher a great um, just time doing clay. And a lot, I'm, I'm very self-taught 
through a lot of my school. Majority of my teachers had no idea how to help me. Mm-hmm. Like, this kid's weird. I don't even know what oil-based clay is. <laughs> Just do your own thing. I'll say it looks good. You know, leave me alone. But um, this teacher was very supportive. You know, she said that you see in a very 3D way. And I was like, oh, it's so true. <laughs> and my parents remember it actually more than I do. They're like, yeah, your teacher said this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. But she was great. She's a great teacher. And I want to help um, other kids like that. I want to help kids learn that there's a benefit through art into their life. They don't need to be good to actually have art help them. Mm-hmm. I want people to be able to realize the importance of art and the value of it and how fun it can be. And I think that's uh, the junior high, like the 12 to 14 area or 15 will be a good age group to hit that kind of point with. Mm-hmm. And I was a substitute a while back ago and I just loved that age. They loved me. I loved them and it was great. So I'm really excited to get started on that. And then also I'll be able to sell my work on the side as well. That's what's nice about being a teacher. You have a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. So And not freedom. There's It's a half and half thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. And I just want to say again, thanks so much for coming on to my podcast. It was great having a conversation with you. And well, I'm... Thank you for having a conversation with me. <laughs> well, you are welcome. Thank you. On next week's episode of Talented. Look at the reason of why you want to be a doctor. There are people, I guess pre-meds that I've come across throughout my time at UVU. There are those that have like good, pure intentions. Like they know why they want to be a doctor. They want to help people. They have genuine reasons and they really do care about others. We sit down with Dan Blumel, a good friend of mine who's studying to be a doctor. We discuss what it truly takes to get into med school. Until then, stay talented. (music) Thank you.